Hi, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Parshas Chayisara 5783. For all of you listening out there online, you too can get all the sources, all the Midrashim we quote, everything that we refer to by just emailing me, estween at gmail, estween at gmail. Okay. So let's start with the dedications. That me dedicating La Rafur Shlema for Chana Baspria and Yaakov and Siam and Sarah Rifka. Ruchi Ackerman, Eloy Nishmas, Sarah Bas Arkady, and Rafur Shlema for Malka Gitzel Basrina Chava. Michal Wixen, for all the special men, men and women to find their potential spouses, and for the dedicated Shadchanim who are looking out for them to have Atzlacha. Shout out for all the Shadchanim. Tammy, Mark, and gratitude to all our holy teachers and Rebbeim that work hard to enlighten us. Um, and may they be successful always. Amen. Varda, Birenbaum, Akarzatov, Sakarashbarcho for his extreme kindness, with Akarzatov to all constant our insights and inspiration, and Sharon Kiner, Le'iloi Nishmas, her mother. Is that, did I pronounce that right? Um, but Bluma Bas Chaim Shmuel on her second yard site. So our learning is elevated. Here we go. As you know, our approach this year, 5783 in our Parsha series is um, different. Every year we do something differently. This year, we are looking at the Torah through the eyes of the Jewish people standing at Harsinai, which is when the Torah is written again. This is back. We have this is part four already called our backstory part four. Every Parsha is going to be another installment. Right, the Jewish people are standing at Har Sinai. They're about to say Nasa Nishma, and then Hashem says to Moshe, "Write everything that I'm going to dictate to you from Bereshis till this moment. Read it to them. Review who they are. How did how did we get to this point? You know, how did the world get to the point that right now, one nation among all the nations of mankind are standing here with this de with this determination to begin a brand new movement, and it's a movement that is very different than everything going on in the world." It's a movement dedicated to charity and justice and living in sync with God, as opposed to all the other various societies that we've already met and uh, we've already talked about that are not set up that way and generally devolve into some sort of um, exploitive survival of the fittest type of world. How did we get to where we are and what are we committing to? So we did a bunch of installments already. This week, we're focusing on two things. A, refocusing and bringing two examples of how when Hashem told Moshe to write this whole story, okay, that Hashem, we have to understand that Hashem is retelling the stories that happened in his own words, because only Hashem could build in all the layers of meaning into these stories. And we will give two examples of that. And then we will give three examples of the ideas built into the story, clearly all of the same thread, which we're going to see, which is our um, astonishment and awe and, 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 uh, and how much we take seriously that we are not only in direct contact with God, but we're channeling these timeless truths through our own choices and behaviors and, and priorities, how we are partnering with God. So to start this off, why we, um, we we have here in the in the beginning of the notes a it wasn't on Safaria, so it's a picture of a piece from the Mariel Diskin. The bio of who the Mariel Diskin is is on the notes. Okay, 
you know, considered extremely uh, innovative and um, and uh, taken, you know, a big, a big, a big person, a big uh, person in the world of scholarship. Now, really, this piece is written to bring a chiddush about Bilam, and Mertesham, we're going to get back to it when we get to Bilam. But in order to explain his chiddush, he, he re reminds us of something very fundamental, which is what we've been learning. And he specifically says, I'm not going to read the Hebrew here, you could read it, but his, he specifically says the following. The entire Torah, okay, look at the English, is called Torah of Moshe, meaning that Moshe with Nevuah wrote it, okay? But why is it called Moshe's Torah? It contains well-established stories already known in the world, like the flood. These are not Moshe's stories. He's, you know, everybody sort of owns that story, right? And um, there are stories that everybody knows, and even stories that are happening in Moshe's own time. Nevertheless, Hashem transmitted all of these stories to Moshe, and he says in the 48 punim, not the shivim punim, just leave that for now, but the 48 ways he transmitted all these stories. But this is the main point that Maril says. The Torah is not a transcription of the actual conversations and the actual specific events. The stories were not written as they happened. They were written by Moshe with Shnevuah right before Harsina, right before Matzah, right before Nasev and Ishma. More than that, they are not transcriptions. They are Hashem's retelling of the stories in his own words. So no, Paro didn't speak Hebrew to Yosef. That isn't exactly how the conversation went in real life. And neither did Ephron and Avram have the conversation as, as it is recorded. Was it as specifically as it recorded in the Torah, when Hashem repeats everything and retells it, Hakadosh Baruch Hu tells us what He wants us to know from that story, and He builds in all sorts of layers and hints. And we're going to see two examples of that. Okay, so again, Torah is not a transcription. It's a makes a huge difference of how you learn Torah, because what we're what we're doing is we're looking back and saying, the goal is for Amishol to be fully aware how we got here how this whole movement started and what are the foundational values of our movement. And that's what we're gonna look into each story for. And each story is gonna emphasize something of that. So B, two examples of Hashem retelling the story. So right before the end of last week's Parsha Vayera, after the Akedah, okay? There's a whole list of Avram's brother Nachar, Okay, and Nachar's wife and children and their children. Now, just be aware, Terach is under underrated, okay? Because you get Avraham, Haran, who gave birth to Sarah and Lot. But remember last week, Sarah's never called Haran's daughter because she totally made her own path. And then Nachar, who gave birth to Besuel. And that from there came Lavan and Rivka and Rachel and Leah. So Terach did pretty good. <laughs> Every, okay, so now, interestingly, in the end of last week's Parsha, after the Akedah, the Torah tells us Nachar's children, because part of what the Torah wants to tell us is who we are and who our mothers, you know, who our ancestors, who our mothers came from. As we said, they were Akara, so they cut themselves off, but to understand the flow of how that went. Now look at how interestingly, the Torah chooses to write the genealogy. It's after these things. And it was told Avraham that Milka gave birth to, to children, to sons, to her, her brother Nachar. Now we have a whole bunch of names that we 
are mostly not familiar with as Oats, the Bukhar, and Boz, his brother, Kamuel, who's the father of Aram. So the Torah is telling us the landscape, who, who all these nations come from, you know, they're all sort of related to us. And Kesed, and Chazo, and Pildash, and Yidlaf, and Besuel. Okay, Besuel we know. Besuel we know. Okay. Now look at this. Ubesuel Yaladis Rivka. Besuel gave birth to Rivka. Okay. These are the eight children of Milka and Nachar. Don't look at the notes. Something's missing. Besuel gave birth to Rivka. These are the eight children of Nachar and Milka. Where's Lavan? Lavan's not, not in the list. Where'd he go? So when Hashem told the story of the genealogy of man and who played a role in contributing to this new movement and who is worth remembering in terms of having some sort of attachment or affinity or something to this new movement, Lavan is deleted because when Hashem tells a story, he wants us to realize that some people don't get in the book because they're irrelevant because they contribute absolutely nothing to the movement, this whole new ideology. They don't play a role. Maybe sometimes people play a negative role and we use them to compare and contrast. But here, Lovin is completely missing. So even the way the Torah goes back and lists genealogy teaches us to be aware that the Torah is constantly begin trying to tell us, you know, who are the people that are relevant in the story of Am Yisrael? and who are not, okay? Here is another example. In our Parsha, Thayisara, the, um, we know that a huge amount of space is devoted to the story of Abraham and Eliezer and coming to the well and then making up the whole plan and then Rivka and, um, and then he, and Rivka invites him in and then he sits down at the Basul and Love and he tells the whole story again. So of course it's obvious. I just want to put this out there. We're not that, you know, the emphasis on chesed is an obvious emphasis. And clearly that's extremely important for this new nation, this brand new nation, that what they are, they come from people that prioritized chesed and mishpat and tzedakah. That's who we are, as opposed to all the other nations, like the one we just got out of, who knew nothing of chesed, Mitzrayim, right? Okay. But that's obvious. Let's go a little bit more subtle. A huge amount of time is devoted to these stories. So Hashem, when dictating to Moshe how to write the backstory of the Jewish people, wants Moshe to write a lot about the story. And on the Pasuk, where the um where the um where Eliezer says to Lavan, he says, Let me tell you what happened. And he uses the phrase, hayom el and he first he tells him, Avram sent me to get his wife, and he told me to not take anyone from Canaan and the whole thing. And he says, And I came today to the well. And Rashi says there that he was that he's implying, you know, I set out today and I came today. He had Kvita Sader. Remember that? Like that was, you know, I was I was. I got here, there's no traffic jams or whatever it was. HaKadosh Baruch Hu helped me, wants me to fulfill my mission. Now here, the Medrash, the Gemara says, or Acha says, okay, the Gemara says, the ordinary conversation of the Avos, now in this case, it says, the English says patriarchs, servants, 
Okay, the Hebrew says, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, the, the ordinary conversation of the servants of the founders, okay, is uh, more precious, more beautiful, before God, than the Torah of the children. And the Lord goes on to say, there is almost nothing spoken about a certain type of um, uh, animal that's tame, and, and, uh, and you have to learn it out from all sorts of drushas. And that's a halacha that's important. However, this whole conversation with Eliezer, the Torah devotes so much time to it. Why? Because the Torah wants us to know that that's more, what is more yafa, beautiful, in, and really yafa means in harmony and, and desirable to God is these long descriptions of the conversations versus the halacha that comes later, which you have to learn out from other sources. Why? It's, it's building up what we are learning that in these conversations, in the story from Voracious to Matan Torah, all the values are found. All the basis of who we are is found. The, the Sefer Voracious is called Sefer Hamidos. It's also referred to as Sefer Hayashor. It's the book where all we learn all about who we are and how to conduct ourselves. So built into every single bit of this story is all sorts of lessons. And, and and sensitivities and values. And that is it. And later on, once you have that solid, then all the mitzvahs come later. Now, what are mitzvahs? Mitzvahs are all, the purpose of mitzvahs on the most simple level is to constantly keep us operating in sync with who we're supposed to be. Mitzvahs, you can put them all together in one category. You know what they're for? To keep you out of survival mode. You don't have to cheat. You don't have to steal. You don't have to be un, unfair. You don't have to maneuver. You don't have to lie. You don't need to because I got a who is your, you know, is going to be able to guide you and provide for you. And we don't understand Hashem's ways, but we know that Hashem can. Okay, so you don't have to go down that path. Just it's, it's, avoid it. Ben Adam Lamakom. Some we understand more. Some we understand less. But they make sure that our internal spiritual system is operating correctly so that we are always able to keep that flow open of chef of hashpah, of divine wisdom flowing into our minds and our hearts. So we always are able pretty easily to remember who we are and to always have a clear self-concept to be able to answer the question, how do you identify very clearly as a Kim connected to God literally with the capacity to have God's own ideas flowing into my own mind. And God can, can work through me and speak through me. And I could be the one through whom Hashem's plan unfolds. And that's who I am. And the, the, the missus with Adam Makom are constantly up making sure that this remains our identity. So certainly things like Shabbos, obviously, but even Chukim, which we don't fully understand, they're part of making sure that happens just like Lamashal, you know, do you know why potassium makes you a better person? No, but your body needs potassium to function. It, me it keeps the system running properly. So we also have these type of minerals and vitamins that called chukim that we need to make sure we have to keep the, the system running properly. Okay. So that is, and that's all built in to the sikhos, to the conversations, to the stories. In this particular case, my grandfather points out, why did Chazal, Chazal say it specifically on this Pasuk that, oh, I had Kvitsa Saderach? Why is that where they point out that God loves these conversations because they illuminate 
all of these values of Judaism because this this particular um, this particular awareness that Hashem helps people accomplish the good things they want to accomplish is a very very important value system, and sometimes we don't even realize it that that's happening to us, but it is happening to us. Hashem, kind of like we have the derech shadam the way a person wants to go, God helps them go that path. And Eliezer is almost perhaps even, uh, God, Hashem is putting the words in Eliezer's mouth that um, if a person, that, that um, if a person is trying to internalize, again, who we are and how we're supposed to live and they mean it sincerely and they're trying to do the right thing, they're going to get that special siyata d'shmaya. And that's Eliezer. Now, let's go into three examples two from Medrash, one from Sod, of how the emphasis here is on what we call Yeras Elohim. Now, why is this the emphasis here? So we already went through a couple of parshios where the Torah clearly distinguished, compared and contrast between Sodom and Avraham. Okay, we did that. Between Tzedek or Mishpat and injustice. We did that. Avimelech, remember last week? You have a nice utilitarian society with lots of rules, but it's not based on your Shemayim. I don't trust you. We already did that. Yishmael, he's making a mockery of Avraham's way of being. He's the, the concept of chesed and overflowing and self-expression is not like Avraham's. Avraham is inclusive for the benefit of others. Yishmael is demonstrating using this, allowing this self-expression to drown everybody else, okay, for the for his own benefit. He's he's he understands the concept that a human being has what to offer in the world and that a human being um, like God has Bechira and self-expression, but he's, it isn't balanced, okay? We're getting closer and closer. Now, in the, um, in the, in the stories after the Akedah, remember the Akedah? We are seeing an emphasis on what is what was accomplished and brought into focus by the Akedah itself. Remember we said that at the Akedah, the, the deeper level challenge. It's not necessarily just, you know, sacrificing his son. You know, Jews and other religions have sacrificed themselves and their children. People can do this, okay? Um, there's a, there's a, 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 another level here, which we discussed, which Avram is being asked to literally say, okay, hineni, when Hashem says to him, I'm, I want you to rise up to the level where you demonstrate for all times, okay, that human beings see themselves entirely in sync with God. And if you, although you have chosen your whole life, a mission for yourself, for my benefit, Hashem says, to spread my name, to re-educate the world, to elevate the world, and you spent your entire life and you've had a tremendous amount of success. If I say, Imagine Avram, drop it. I don't need it. I don't need any of it. I just want this from you right now. And your mind is going crazy saying, but this is not in your benefit, Hashem. Everyone's going to go back to Vodazara. They're all going to say, I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. All my life's work for you. How could you not want it? How could you want to sabotage it? And what about me? Like, who am I? What about my mission, my tafkid, my identity? Are you willing to say, okay, drop it? done, goodbye, finish, I don't need it, I'm the, whatever you want from me now. Am I really in, do I really in, in, a, in a consistent way that's through and through and through really see myself 
entirely as expressing your will, not mine. Post Akeda, that's what we're going to find in the Nisyonos, in, in what happens with Avram and what Avram says after the Akeda. So look at the story of burying Sarah. Okay. So um, it, the Pasuk in Bereshus 23.5 says, Vayanu you know, there's a whole negotiation between Avram and Benechais. Again, a whole long story, a long conversation. And the way Hashem had Moshe write it was that the phrase Benechais was inserted 10 times. That wasn't, that was not necessarily the original because in the original, right? Moshe and Benechais, I mean, Avram and Benechais were having a conversation, but when it was written, Hashem said, you know, is set it up that B'nai Ches is mentioned 10 times. B'nai Ches said this, Avram said this to B'nai Ches, B'nai Ches said that. Why? Look in the Medrash. Rabbi Eliezer commented that untold numbers of pens have been broken and untold amounts of ink have been used up for the Torah to repeat the expression, the members of the tribe of the Hittites, in this paragraph, no fewer than 10 times. Why? Look what he says. Our sages say that we learn from here that anyone who clarifies the Hebrew words is shemi shemis barer makes it barur clear makes it clear chelko shel tzadik the chelik of a tzadik it's like they upheld all of the ten dibros ten ten what is going on here so my grandfather explains you if Avram wanted Mars machpela there's a lot of mystical stuff about that. He came to ask to buy it. Originally, they were, they said, sure, take it. And the negotiations went back and forth. Now, in the Aserah Sedibros, which are eventually what the Jewish people are now standing at Harsina, almost ready to commit to, right? In the Aserah Sedibros, very interesting. There is a, there is direction about how to conduct your business dealings. So the Aserah Sedibros starts with Anochi Hashem. And at the very end, number 10, it says, do not lo sachmod, don't desire someone else's stuff, not their wife, not their house, not their field. Okay, now, the halacha is that if you want something and you want it so much that you pressure someone to sell it to you because you want it, you have violated lo sachmod. Okay, every halacha has to be practical. So it means, it ha in real life, you have to force someone to sell you something. So imagine if Raham had wanted Marsa Machpela and he had pressured Ephron and B'nai Ches to sell it to him, giving, you know, offering more money and pressuring them and saying, look what, but I, you know, I'm such an important person over here and et cetera, et cetera, right? The Torah wants to be mevarer, right? Take so, spend so much time to make it super clear that Avram conducted his business dealings with total Yira Hashem, no lo sachmo. He didn't, he didn't manipulate anything. Why? Because as we're learning, when a person has that awareness, it has to translate into being through and through 100% aware that everything is ultimately maneuvered by Hashem. And I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to fool people and pressure people to get what I want. So the Torah wants to tell us the entire Sarasa Dibros, okay, 
are, are in the purpose of them is to not only give us a God consciousness, that it translates into everything in day-to-day -day life, including every single business dealing. And we want to show that with Avram. It was through and through. So if the Torah is, is clarifying how Avram does these transactions, that is tantamount to upholding the entire Aseris of Dibros. So wants you to know that the Bnei Ches, who had this conversation with him, and they made it super clear through B'nai Ches and their negotiations, it was obvious that Avram did not pressure them. That is valuable enough to spend all that ink on because it establishes that a person who is accepting the big picture is translating it into everything through and through. I'll tell a famous story of my grandfather here. It's been repeated many times. A lady calls him up and says, Rabbi Shwab, I have a question. I work for a from person, from man, and he has two sets of books. Okay, one that is, you know, shows to the accountant and one that's the real thing. And I want to know if my grandfather says, wait a second, I didn't understand your question. Could you please repeat it? He says, yeah, I'm working for a from man and he has two sets of books and he wants to go, no, I didn't understand. Please repeat it. She goes, Rabbi, which part don't you understand? He says, the part where you say you're working for a from person, you're not working for a from person, sorry, because it has to be through and through, okay? So um, so this, this is, we're seeing here how the Torah chooses to write something to underscore a message that the Jews at Harsinai have, have must internalize that the 10 Dibros, which they're about to accept, really translate into Real consistency, honesty, being that person through and through. You hear that? Yeah. You see, you. Yeah, that's true. And by the way, this is yes, the business of Yaakov and Lo and Lavan. By the way, and comparison, Lavan. By the way, there's so many deeper layers here, but even just something as straightforward as this medrash. Okay, of course, there's super deep layers built in here also, which we're going to look at one now. Yeah. The tennis owners clarified, yes, of course. And some, there's a question, is the burial of Sarah a Nisayon? Is it not a Nisayon? You know, how does it work? Is this considered a new test? And um, and uh, there's a lot on that subject, but if he, if a person's Yerusalem Kim is so thorough, so real, then it's not a test. Of course, they're going to conduct their business dealings correctly. It's not, yeah. I'm a little confused. Um, <clears throat> you're saying that he did not pressure right. the Hittites to sell the land. Right. And yet he did say to them, I'll give you anything you want. No, Ephron said, he said, tell me your price. No, but that's not pressure. Pressure is they, they say a price. And he says, um, pressure is they'll, they, they say, we don't want to sell it. And he says, um, I'll give you double. I'll give you triple. He didn't say that. He said, tell me your price. And then, and there's so much in the story, of course. And then everyone says, okay, fine. I'll, and he charges him a lot. But um, there's no, there's, he, he just said, I would like to buy it for a fair price. But the fact is, if you look through it, it was a very open negotiation. They want the negotiations to be, it was called transparent, total transparency. Okay. That nothing here happened that put, uh, that would even indicate the slightest violation of uh, unethical business practices. Let's go into something deeper. Now, the Shalah Kodesh, that's always Kabbalistic, brings a Medrash. And this is a good opportunity to remind everybody 
how we are meant to view Midrashim. We have a whole series called the 13 Ikram. And when we started that series, it was a Corona series. We started with Rambam's introduction to the 10th Parak of Sanhedrin, which is called also Chelek, Rambam's introduction to Parak Chelek. And that is the Parak that has the Ikram in it. And in his introduction, he talks about different approaches to Midrashim. And he says that if a person takes all Midrashim literally, they're foolish and they're distorting everything. And these are, Midrashim are allegorical. And he goes into other things and uh, explains different, different approaches. The Midrashim are, are, are called agaditas, are, are all written in language that is trying to tell us something deeper. They're written in allegorical language, okay? It's interesting. The Maharal, who is famous for something that never happened called the Golem, okay, which is a fiction written in 1880, is not necessarily, is less known by the Hamonam for the Sifre Maharal, which he spends his life going through so many of the Agatatas and explaining what they're trying to say, decoding them. How do we know, by the way, the Maral that there was never a golem? Because the Maral wrote numerous and enormous amount of sperm, never mentions it. In all the Hespedim that we have still on record for the Maral, never mentioned. 200 years after the Maral lived, not a single safer anywhere ever mentions it. In 1880 or something, a guy named Dino Rosenberg wrote a storybook. And he wrote about Superman, the Maral of Prague. And it got a life of its own. And somebody just showed me that Eliyahu Kitov, who was in the 1900s, who wrote Sefer Todah, the Book of Our Heritage, he actually mentions like, oh, like everyone knows the famous stories of the golem. Okay, so he made a mistake. Because, uh, but that, that doesn't substantiate that there was one just because he happened to think there was one. But um, but anyway, but the, the Maral spent his life's work primarily on the Sifre Maral, all decoding all the Agatha. So here's an Agatha. This is one that isn't even so fantastical, but clearly based on everything we've learned in the past, we understand what this is trying to say. It says that um, when Avram entered the cave of Machpelah, okay, the Pasuk says in 2319, okay, the Pasuk says, here, look at, look at two, he buys it so that he, the land becomes his, and um, and it was officially purchased for, by Avram from Bnei Ches. And then it says, and after this, cover Avram es Sarah Ishto. He buried Sarah, and it, did, it could have just said cover Avram Sarah Ishto. Okay, he puts in an S in the Maras Machpela. Okay, so the in in the in the going deeper. Um, okay, the um, the Rav Shimon says. What does it mean, and after this? After Rav Shimon says that when Avram entered the cave of Machpelah to bury Sarah, Adam and Eve rose up, Adam and Chava rose up. They said, we don't want to stay buried here. Why? They said, we are so disgraced anyway by the hate, and now we have to face you that, um, that um, you know, are so much better. And they would suffer additional shame, having finally, constantly to face a pair of humans so much better. Avram replied that he's going to pray to Hashem on Adam's behalf. They cease to suffer embarrassment uh, before Hashem in the future, and Hashem would forgive him. Immediately after that, Avram buried his wife, Sarah. This is the meaning of Achrei Cain, 
okay? Because he then buries her. And then it says, but Avram Kavar Esar, S being an extra word, he also buried Sarah after he buried Chava, so to speak. Then now their minds were put to rest. Okay, we understand what this is trying to say. That we have this, this the, the, you know, this new mindset called the hate of where everybody's living by appearances, right? Everybody's um, living in the in the mindset of humanity that has not yet been re-educated by Avram and Sarah. And here now, Avram and Sarah are starting this new movement, this whole new way of thinking, and that is going to what we call tidutikun, or fix, or finally restore the madrega of what we call Adam and Chava before the sin. So now they can rest. Avram and Sarah are here. Adam and Chava can rest. Right? We understand what that means? So... Yeah. Are we saying that the Mikhaya was something that Abraham knew that is exactly where he had... So there's all these Midrash about how Abraham found Marissa Machpelah. You want to hear a Midrash that most likely is not literal? <laughs> that Abraham was... The Malachim were, were, came to Abraham. Now we learned last year, to digress here for a second, that the entire... Experiences Vayera Hashem Avram. Remember this. As soon as it says Vayera Hashem Avram, anytime it has that sort of phraseology, it means that the person is seeing a nevuah. Everything that transpired was part of a nevuah. It was happening in his mind. The machlokas between Rambam and Ramban is Rambam says it was entirely in his mind, and Ramban says no, there was some sort of physical, sort of apparition of something that no one could have seen besides Avram. So there's some element that it appeared in physically, somehow maybe Abraham saw some energy or whatever, but nothing that anyone could actually see. Nobody says that he, there were actually three people, okay? So Abraham is viewing, envisioning the whole thing. And in his vision, he's asking them to eat. By the way, the way you have to read the Rambam, even he was still envisioning the Malachim coming to Lot and the whole story with Lot and the Malachim and his daughters, the whole thing was in the vision. Because after it's over, it says, Vayash came Avram, Avram woke up in the morning, and look, stone was overturned, just like he had seen in his vision. But in any case, so in the story, Avram goes to Sarah and says, could you prepare you know, a, a meal? And in the Sarah, and then they shecht um, a cow or something, right? Okay. And then there's a medrash that when Avram was trying to catch, was trying to get the cow to Shecht, it ran away and it ran all the way to Marissa Machpela. And he went in and he saw Adam. Okay. But if the whole thing's a vision and see how it's such more allegorical, what it's trying to say is pretty obvious that Avram is seeing that the Midah of Chesed, simple, the Chesed, the new way he sees the world, the Brismila he just had, his new commitment to start an entirely move movement is bringing him back to the original, to Adam and Chava, to the purpose of mankind, how it got diverted and how he and Asara are going to start the movement to do the Tikkun, to fix it, to re-educate the world. It's obvious, right? So, but I heard someone quote it literally, okay? All right. So the Shnei Luchos Habris is explaining that now with, with Avram and Sarah, with the beginning of this new movement, it really was just a movement, a way of life, an ideology, finally Adam and Chava can rest. The world is on a path to Tikkun, okay? Let's go further and let's sort out something very difficult to understand and often very disturbing and one of the areas where people jump to try to find something to say about this to make it sound better because it doesn't sound good. 
We know that we, Avram has a servant called Eliezer. We know he's huge, okay? And yet we know this story. In the Pasuk, when Avram is telling Eliezer to go get a wife, Eliezer says, Uli, maybe, what if she doesn't want to come back? Remember that? And then when he goes to Lavan and he's repeating to Lavan the whole story, he also says the same thing. And I said to Avram, Uli, but it's missing the Vav. It's written without a Vav. And so it says, Eli, to me. So Chazal say there, when Avraham was telling him to go to get a wife, he was thinking, well, he suggested, well, maybe she won't want to come back. Then maybe you will look to me, maybe my daughter. Eli Yavo, she'll come to me. And Avram, the measure says, Avram said, no, that can't be it because you're from Canaan. You're cursed and I'm blessed and my son can't marry your daughter. Later, when he's talking to Lavan and he says, I said to Avram, Eli, Chazal, that's where Chazal comment on it. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Why don't they comment on it in the first place? But get there. So this is harsh. You're cursed and I'm blessed. Is this a caste system? Just because you're born from Canaan, you're irredeemable? I mean, what about all the people that Avram was teaching? And all these endless amounts of people. What does it mean you're cursed? You can, can't exit that? Like, what is going on here? And Eliezer, Avram considered him, he's called Av, Avram's servant. He was 100% you know, um, devoted to Avram. In fact, we just learned that the conversations of the servants of the Avos was more precious than the Torah. So who's Eliezer? And his name is Eliezer. God is, you know, God is uh, help, helped by God. So we have to understand what Baruch means and what Arur means. Very important. And then we're going to see the Gemara says he took himself out of Arur and into Baruch. Now, what does this mean? Everyone knows my grandfather also. Everything today is heavy on my grandfather. <laughs> Baruch is, you know this, Beis, Reish, Chaf. Beis is two, Reish is 200, Chaf is 20, right? Numerically. So each one is the doubling of the unit. So one is double to the unit. The singles unit is doubled to, from one to two. The tens from right, 10 to 20 and the hundreds from 100 to 200. So bracha means overflowing. It means expansive. It means increasing. Like a brecha in Torah language is a well from underground that keeps bubbling up, okay? How does somebody get baruch? So let's, let's think again about how we see ourselves. We always go back to the mushal, the analogy I always use of the baby and the mother. To the degree, which Avraham did at the Akedah, right? To the degree that a person sees himself as part of Hashem's self-expression, the person through whom God speaks to the world. What that person is capable of doing is nullifying their own personal agenda. They are not living their lives to basically fulfill their personal ambitions. When they say ani, I, they mean as part of anochi Hashem. There's no self-interest. Remember, we talked about Sodom with self-interest and Avi, Avi Melech with self-interest and, and, and Yishmol with self-interest and everybody with self-interest except Avram. Avram has no self-interest. When Eliezer says, maybe my daughter, he's indicating, okay, that there's a certain self-interest there. Really, the wife for Yitzchak has got to be the one that can carry, that is fully capable of carrying on 
this whole movement, this whole ideology. It has nothing to do with whose kid it is. It has to do with her capability to be the right wife. He says, but I want it to be mine. That tiny, tiny glimmer of self-interest, Avram says, if you have self-interest, you can never be expansive. You can never channel anyone but other than yourself. You can't be channeling God. So the definition of Baruch means expansive because the more we are able to suppress or just totally get away from our own self-interest as a separate entity from God, the more we are able to be hugely expansive because we're channeling God, not ourselves. That's way bigger. But to the degree a person's self-interest is always in play, it's called Aror. Aror means you're not functioning to your full capacity. How do we know it means that? Because in Bereshus, when Hashem said, Aror Ha'adama, the earth is cursed, it says, it will give thorns and thistles. It won't be vibrant. It won't be flourishing. You're going you're gonna to plant, but it, the, the weeds are going to come up. It's not able to thoroughly express its potential. It's not going to flourish. So Aror means you're stumped, you're, you're stymied. You can't be who you're supposed to be. You can't be expansive because there's too much self-interest. And Avram said, no. That is that bit is it has to be established. The Torah really is putting this, you know, is is helping us understand this this distinction. So what do we see about Eliezer when he goes to Lavan? He completely divests himself of any more self interest. He drops it. He he understands that his like Avraham. His only interest is to make sure this the person that is fitting for Yitzchak is going to be found. He so much shifts from self-interest to total devotion and total, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, sincere um, service. service. That, look what Lavan says. When Lavan meets him, by Yaretz Lavan, Lavan runs outside after the whole story with the whales and all that. And he finds Eliezer standing by the camels. Okay. By Yomer and Lavan says, Bo Baruch Hashem, come you who is blessed by Hashem. He thought he, and the measure says, he thought he was Avram because his face was shining and just like Avram's. He had that spirit, that glow, like Moshe when he came down from Arsinai. Amar Rabbi Yossi, Ben Rabbi Dosa. Okay, Rabbi Yossi ben Rabbi Dosa says, Canaan um, is Eliezer, right? Eliezer comes from Canaan. Va'al yidei she'shares oso tzaddik be'emuna. And because he served this tzaddik with, what does emuna mean? Not faith. Ne'eman, steadfast commitment to just serve Avram. Because Avram knew, knew what he was doing. He was... He, he, he was very focused on his goal of what this Amishol would look like because he devoted himself to totally commit Avram. He no longer, he, he opted out, he was transferred, no longer Aror. Now he's Baruch because now he too can be the font through which all of this can flow. Okay, so the Torah is trying to teach us that lesson of Aram Baruch through setting up this little 
you know, this bringing our focus to this little conversation. Why not Eliezer? Because Eliezer at that point was coming from a place of self-interest. Then Eliezer shifted, which means to show everybody can do it, obviously. Very important lesson, yeah. Exactly. Very nice. Eliezer, I help God. Very nice. Okay. Let's digress into another um, kind of layer that is, helps us really understand who we are. And more than that, a very big picture of history that is important for us to know everything, you know, who we are and uh, how Avram influenced us is clearly the main message of the Torah. But what's also in the Torah is how Avram influenced everybody else. So in 25, five and six, we have a tupsukim. It says, Vayitain Avram as before he died, he gave everything to Yitzchak. The next Pasuk says, and to the children of the Pilagshim, Avram gave gifts and he sent them off while Yitzchak was still alive and he sent them eastward to the eastern lands. So Rashi says, my Matanas, what sort of gifts did he give him? Rav Yirmiya Barav Abi brings again from the Gemara in Sanhedrin. Now look here, Shamasar Lehem Shem Tuma. Very strange. He gave them the name of Tuma. What does this mean? So look at Sifsei Chachamim. She say, Sifsei Chachamim says, Shem, name of Hashem. He gave them the name of Hashem, meaning all sorts of ideas about Hashem. Shereshayim Lahaskiro Bitoma. There's a little base here that we have to, that you gave the names of, he gave them ideologies, but they were permitted to, to, to work with these ideas and learn these ideas and meditate on these ideas in a state of Tuma, without mitzvahs. Meaning they have the ideology, but not the Torah and the mitzvahs that go with it, just the concepts. Which then helps us understand that the East, India, beyond that China, was deeply influenced by Avram's ideas, although they are in a state of Tuma, meaning no mitzvahs, they're not having mitzvahs. Interesting. Now we go to a lot of interesting things. This is just a lot of fun to understand. <laughs> Remember, everybody said, what happened to the Nefesh Asher Asa Bacharo and all those people? What about the Dar Haflaga, the tower, the Babel Tower? Remember, they were dispersed while well, Avram was alive. And that's when he got the name Ivri. And he said, I am not participating in this. I have an entirely different ideology. And he was teaching it. And he convinced people. Remember, he was already teaching in our costume. What happened to the people he convinced? So we said that when the Torah, when the, in the Torah, it's written that Hashem said, let me go down and disperse them. Nasser, right? He talks like as if Chazal say, talking to Malachim, let's disperse them. When it says that Hashem is talking to Malachim, what it means is Hashem is working through the forces of nature, floods and famines and various things that cause people to emigrate to different areas. The Malachim are nature, right? Hashem's koach that he created in the world. So there was a huge emigration in 1900 BCE, eastwards, and the people that were influenced of Rome were among that migration. And then you find back in that time in India, 
a whole cult that's based on Brahma, right? And Saravista and Hagar. Yes, I brought it, it's here, you gotta read it. Wild stuff. And later on, by the way, just, just to remember when Shlomo HaMelech, years later, okay? 800 years later, when Shlomo HaMelech was writing Koheles about what, how do you live life? And it says the book is called Koheles because he gathered all the wise men from the East, okay? We're talking about, Shlomo Melech is about 1100 BC. Avram is about 1900 BC, okay? If you Google who are the wise men in 1100 BC, they're all Indian. And they're coming way before Confucius, way before China. And they're coming because they too have Abrahamic ideas. Now, if you read this, you'll see some fascinating stuff, okay, about the linkage. In fact, in this cult, in this Indian ideology, the highest Madrigi could reach is to be a, like a saint is Abrahamin. So, so interestingly enough, we're even told who everybody else is. Now, why is this relevant to us today? Very interesting. In Yeshayahu, we learned this in Corona too. He's talking about the time of Mashiach and the world is gonna be starving for guidance and enlightenment. And Mashiach is essentially going to be a teacher because it says that his shavit, his, his weapon to make everybody, so to speak, do tshuva or to punish the Rishayim is his words, ruach piv, the words, the ideas, the persuasive under, ideas that help people understand that is going to be like stronger than any weapon. So Yeshayahu says that the nations of the world are going to come streaming back to say, teach us, teach us. The problem is, you know, Yeshayahu says, they won't find teachers because in Israel, the Jewish people will only have learned Eastern wisdom. How did Yeshayahu know 2,000 years, 2,500 years ago that in the modern age, half of Israel is in Goa trying to find enlightenment? Okay. <laughs> now, the reason people like to go there is because it's all these beautiful ideas with no mitzvahs. So you got the best of base in both worlds. You could be spiritual and not have to do anything. Okay. That's so. If you read this in Hindu mythology, Sarai Svati is Brahma's sister. Hello. Remember this? And there's a whole mythology. The tributary of the river Saravisti is Chagar. Isn't that interesting? All right. All sorts of interesting uh, comparisons. But particularly, if you look in 1900 BC, the cult of Brahman was carried, okay, he says, to the Middle East and Near East by several different Indian groups after severe rainfall and earthquakes. Something happened, as we call Migdal Bavel, and people migrated. And they took these ideas with them. Isn't that interesting? So we're looking this, you know, today we did sort of a overview of different things, but the thread running through everything is the way Torah is written is to bring home certain key ideas. We are tzedek mishpat. It's through and through, okay? And it, in chesed, of course, this week we have, of course, riff with chesed, which we didn't dwell on, and it's through and through. And a person who wants to be fully committed, which is called emuna, full commitment, is baruch, blessed, because they become such a font, because they're channeling 
something much greater than themselves. If we only channel ourselves, we don't get very far. It's pretty petty. But if we're channeling something much bigger than ourselves, there's, it's infinite. And that's called Baruch. And everybody could be Baruch, right? And everybody has, though, and there's a way in to be Baruch. And, um, and, uh, and when we come in, we're just coming in the same way Avram came in. At Harsinai, all the Jewish people were officially converts. They accepted the Torah right before that they had gotten a, a circumcision for the men. And the Torah tells us there was a be'er, a mikvah, you know, a, a purifying to a mikvah. But basically, exactly what every convert has to go through from that point on, no different than anyone else. Okay, let me, I'm going to end, open this, uh, also the Zoom up for, for um, questions. Okay, and I'm going to take questions from everyone. So first, let me take from the room here, and then we're going to take from the Zoom. Okay, everyone? Yeah, Michelle. Avram was Avram Goyim. Sarai. Because, okay, she asked a very good question. Avraham is called father of many nations, right? And Sarai is called the princess of God, and then she's called Sarah. The concept of Av, we didn't do this. The difference between the Avos and Mahos, the different roles. A father meaning here, the source of the concept. Avram is the source of the concept of of these of 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 the basic Jewish concepts, okay, and that is the father of all of these other nations. Concretely building other nations, Yishmael and Esav and all that, if they don't buy into the ideology, they're not they're not the child because father means source of the of the of the idea, and a Talmud is considered a child. But if you're not a Talmud, you're really not a child. Right, so we we um, we we link it to Avram because the Avos were in charge of bringing these great ideas to the world. Anyone who followed is called a child. The Imos were, were in charge of concretely building the actual nation and distinguishing between who's in and who's out with the bina. But that's already a different type of concept. Okay. Yeah. I'll repeat it. Okay, very so, so what she's saying is that the fact that there's so much conversation about Avram telling Eliezer what type of girl to get and exactly what, and Eliezer coming up with this challenge, is she going to be a Balthazar, that Hishtadlus, in really, you know, putting in your Hishtadlus to get the right one, okay, is um, is something that the Torah wants to sort of emphasize <laughs> and that's spends prayer. a lot of time, and Hishtadlus is prayer. It's no, yeah, that's Fila, but also, but can I ask you something? Also, but really being responsible about who exactly is suitable, who's not suitable. That's also very much in. It's so interesting because in my one second, my Hasidish school that I teach in, we were teaching how Zivugim, you know, getting married is Bahira. You got to put the effort in to do it. It's not predetermined, it's going to drop into your lap. And this was a whole, a whole interesting conversation uh, 
that was ensuing on just this. One second, somebody online wants to ask something, yes? Yeah, Yafa. Hi, Esther. Yes, hi. Okay, so we, we were talking um, about, you know, in the past even, that, you know, Canaan had um, Mitzrayim, right? Mm -hmm. And so this construct that Eliezer was from Canaan, why would then Avraham be able to even marry Hagar at all? And if That's even Eliezer couldn't. And, 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 and going along with that, if he was so devoted, he was so, he, he like converted into Avraham's household. And here we find Betuel and Lavan, and they're just so corrupted, but that's okay because he's not from Canaan. Very good question. Why is Eliezer so good? Okay. And yet, because he's from Canaan, his daughters disqualified as the measures. And Lavan and Betuel, their daughters are not disqualified. Very important. Remember what we learned about Akaros. Rachel and Leah and Rivka are not from Lavan and they're not from Basuel. They are Akaras because what well, we're trying, they're barren to teach the idea that they are not continuing the ancestral line. They are starting brand new. So what we're really saying here is that it's up to the person to, to define who they are. Now, Eliezer in this thing, you know, we don't know Eliezer's daughter, but the, the, the Medrash is trying to bring out the concept that Self-centeredness is not compatible with Judaism. That's all it's trying to teach, okay? That's the point of the measure. Self-centeredness is not compatible with Judaism. It's opposite. And the, it brings it out by Eliezer saying, how about my daughter? It's really not about the daughter. It's about Eliezer, okay? Um, and, um, and, there, and, and what we are seeing is that each person, the Torah is, is making it clear that each person builds their own destiny. Now, so wait, I'm, Esther, you're saying that's how... Well, Mary, right. he didn't want to, he did not want to, so asked him to, and you see that uh, Yishmol, there's a whole interesting study, Yishmol is an interesting combination of Cham and shame, you know, two different, comes out as Yishmol, right, because she's from Cham, he's from shame, and interracial, so to speak, or inter, not racial, I shouldn't say, they're not two races, well, I guess they're two different types of civilizations, I would say, and um, you see, and we're not talking about color of skin, every, every interracial marriage, as long as everybody is, 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 you know, tzaddikim, it's all good. No, so we have no biases whatsoever. But what we're talking about is um, he didn't want, I would say he didn't want to marry Hugger and she was forced in it. And you see that the child was not, was not in the, in the mode of what we call bracha because everything was self-centered. Yeah, that's just an interesting point that uh, Rabbi Gladstein made in his show this week, talking about this whole issue, is that when Eliezer is talking to Lavan and Suel, his name isn't mentioned, and yeah. that's the whole Very part. And actually, it's, it's in what you're saying that he negated himself. It's in the notes. But I have a different question. He's yeah. known in other places as Eliezer Damesek. Yeah, not Eliezer Khan. Yes, that's true. I don't know why exactly. But oh, I heard something really cool oh, about the message. One second, one second. In the notes, it's, he's never called in the entire story. Eliezer, he's called Eved, or he's called Haish, but he's totally subsumed by Avraham, which is why he's borrowed. Uh, don't tell other stories. I just want, because there's, um, I just want to make sure we have questions are clarified. So one second, let me take a question from in the room. Yeah. So could we say that by Avraham, not setting a limit on how much he was prepared. I can't hear her. I'm going to repeat it. On how much he was he part of his expensiveness because yeah. when he 
Yeah, Avram wanted them to sell it to him for a price they believed was fair, that they did not believe they were being taken advantage of. And the proof, it was a bracha that he overpaid because it proved he didn't take advantage of anyone. That was, yeah, it was, it was that was, you know, that proved it, that was important. One second, let me, let me just take you, Michelle. Wait, what did she ask? Who, Tara? Okay, wait. First of all, Ilana said that um, the fact that Avram was willing to pay anything and that he overpaid, it proves that Lava, that the that we can't say that he pressured them or he fooled them. He was willing to, he was totally, he was the one taking advantage of, he was the one that overpaid. So it underscores that there was no unethical practices. Now, the question was, how did Terach merit all these three? And you know what the answer probably is? Look in the end of safe of Noah. The first person to get up and leave and go on a journey to start spreading this new ideology was Terach. And he took his kids with him. And then he died and Avram went further. And what the reason, and when Hashem said to Avram, leave your father's house, leave everything, right? Meaning Avram had a, had a, greater, a greater comprehension than Terach. He was, he, he had a, he was, his, his level of understanding was, just short of Moshe Rabbeinu. These were the founder of Judaism and the great teacher of Judaism. Okay, a parallel. And so he said, even go beyond your father. But Terach started the whole thing, to be honest. He got this concept, let's go and let's spread the word. Nice. Based on, based on her, her name was changed to Keturah. Some this that she and, was Keturah. And not everyone agrees. Ishmael, yeah. Ishmael both did Teshuvah. Yes, yes. Oh, did you see what I put on the chat? Yeah, amazing, amazing. Okay. What, what was it? Did, Ishmael did two levels of Teshuvah. Okay. First, he does Teshuvah about just his ideology. And then, in addition to that, we see he lets Yitzchak in this week's parsha, go ahead of him bearing Avram, which indicates he also recognized that Yitzchak is the heir to all of this more than he is. So interestingly enough, the Arabs who, yes, recently we had some problems with them, but in history, they were not our enemies, okay? It was just a recent phenomenon that things, things changed. But now we see that, um, number one, the Arabs became monotheists. So they are, were no longer pagans as of the 700s. Mm -hmm. And second of all, the, the, today, with a video I posted on Ewing Shirim, is Amazing. that rabbi of England went to the United Arab Emirates, right? And joined an entire forum of 70 Muslim thinkers, leaders, um, all discussing peace, all from 70 different Muslim countries. And they gave the chief rabbi, the, the most prestigious placement in the entire forum next to the main, whatever, Imam. And, uh, and he was invited to participate and join. And uh, it's an unbelievable thing. Thanks to, of course, the Abraham Accords that facilitated this, which we have to give a shout out to a local, uh, one of our local boys, Avrami Berkowitz. <laughs> And uh, Jared, who facilitated the uh, the uh, the um, Abraham Accords, he went to Darche. He was he's my friend's son, Brian Burkus' son. Unbelievable, unbelievable. But in any case, um, it's so cool. It's called Abraham, Abraham Accords. It's huh? so cool that it's called that. Yeah, and the new Prime Minister of England, England is yes. Indian. Yes. 
share the same father. Abraham was yeah. after him and to us. That's why it's called Abraham. Correct. I know, it's amazing. Hey, everyone, will see you on the Q&A. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Oh, Rebecca, I sent you the, I sent you the notes in the email. Okay. I got them. Thank